Jocelyn, I'm so happy for you. Sister, we've talked about this for so long and we've had conversations. I've pictured this moment. I've seen you do it before. You're moving the sport forward. We're pushing forward together. And I know that this is going to stand for a really long time. So just keep going. Just ride. Have, have so much fun. I don't want to see you stop. So just keep going. Love you. Ah, great to hear from LC44, Lauren Chamberlain, with uh, with all the loves for Jocelyn Allo. We have a new NCAA home run queen and uh, really couldn't happen to a better person in a better place as she went home to Hawaii to hit number 96 and counting. There'll probably be uh, quite a few more to come as we welcome you to the seven innings podcast Follow along at 7 Innings Podcast on your social media. That's where you can also get your lineup card. Uh, We're going to hear from uh, a few stars of the game. Women's Month, of course, continues with uh, Marissa Young, the head coach of Duke. We're going to hear from Lisa Fernandez, talk a little history. It's a Pac-12 party, by the way, as they jump in to the regular season uh, with both feet, UCLA and Arizona. And, of course, we will have Jocelyn Allo on the podcast as well. Uh, Holly Rowe, you've been tracking this story now for five years, and to see Alo do it at home, great uh, uh, hat, tip of the cap to Hawaii, by the way, for pitching to her and giving us all this great moment. So, you know, ever since we knew that she was coming back to play this season, we knew that this was a possibility and a likelihood, and I just think it's really special that the way that it happened was just so meant to be. This is a young woman from the islands who sacrificed a lot, and we'll talk to her about that, to to come and play softball on the mainland. And, um, it, and to have that go home and to be in her community, and I don't know if you guys have seen all of the things on social media, and just her whole visit to Hawaii, empowering those young women, speaking to people, going to the parks, um, it was just a really beautiful moment for softball, and, and we'll talk to her a little bit more about it later. You know, playing playing softball in Hawaii and, and doing clinics over there, it, it's it's a special place when you think about to what Holly just made the point of. Like I, I mean, obviously I I cried, I had emotions, and it's because of the empowerment, honestly, for the sport, but more importantly for those little girls that were in the stands and honestly all over that entire state. And just being around that and having been a part of, of that, seeing these young girls and how important it is. We say it all the time, right? You have to see someone like you in those positions to know that you can do it. I think we have Jocelyn uh, ready to jump on and join us. So we are so excited to be joined now by the new queen of softball, the new queen of home runs, Jocelyn Allo. And Jocelyn, thank you for joining us today. We're so excited to have you. Thank you Uh, for having me. Of course. You know, first and foremost, I want to take you back to the very beginning and you know, your dad has told us the story of your family saving up money every year so that you and your dad could come to the mainland and play softball all summer. How do you describe some of the early sacrifices your family went through for your career? I would say they're definitely 100% supportive of everything that I do. And they recognized my talents, I would say, before I even recognized my talents. So they knew, um, from day one, the kind of player and person that they wanted to raise me to be. And um, they've just 100% been supportive in everything that I do. What was one of the hardest times? It's you and your dad in a tiny apartment in California, driving hours to different softball tournaments. What was a moment that you were questioning? Is this all worth it? Is this going to work out? Oh my gosh. I know exactly what moment. Um, 
It was after we just we just lost to Corona Angels, struck out three times, twice looking and once swinging. And I was like, dang, are you sure you want to keep doing this, Dad? And he was kind of like, he was mad, you know, like how dads all are after travel ball games. And I was just like, man, I feel like I really wasted his money this summer. And JT was there watching. And I was like, oh, man, like, there's no way they're starting me either. Um, So I remember that. And then I was just like, he's going to support me no matter what. But I remember that specific moment. I was like, I feel like I wasted their money. Of course, it's JT Gasso, who's there recruiting you for Oklahoma. So you get there, you get the National Freshman of the Year Award, and you early on show that you're on pace to get this record. I know Lauren Chamberlain has talked about the weight of the record on her shoulders and how hard the chase was. What has it been like for you? Um, I would say kind of leading up to it, it was um, when I hit seven this year, it was kind of a sigh of relief and when I, when I tied it, it was a sigh of relief, but it was just that, that one after, which was kind of stressful because quite honestly, I wasn't expecting to get walked if I'm being quite honest, because I was like, you know, like these are good pitchers I'm facing and I'm just a normal hitter too. Like I get out. Um, but I wasn't expecting to get walked that much. And, um, whenever I did get my one at bats and I would like roll over or strike out or something and, it was kind of a really good patient waiting game for me and just staying um, within myself. I honestly like kind of got out of myself a little bit. Um, I'm not going to lie. Just, I was like, really when I would get walked and you could kind of see it in the way that I would throw my bat or something, but like competitors just want to compete and I just want to compete. And I just felt like I was stripped of that, but it was definitely a learning experience for sure. Um, when I finally did hit it, though, I just felt like the weight of my shoulders just all the weight was just carried off my shoulders. Um, as much as I was excited for it to be over, I was so happy that it happened there. Um, I just like I never got I didn't think I would get to play in front of them again. So just to have I had literally everyone I that had ever coached me that had ever um, watched me play, that I played with, a lot of old travel ball teammates coming to that game and everyone was there to watch it. People were even in the um, parking garage looking down in. I really do feel like that moment was meant to be. I'm going to cry talking about it. Like the videos are so beautiful and all those people there you're talking about to see you in that moment, like it just was all meant to be, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Oh my gosh, Holly. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Um, and then after looking on Instagram, I was like, just kind of scrolling through videos. I was like, you know what? A like is good enough because I got like 700 DMs. Like this is it's a lot going on. But one video that I did see that made me super happy was one of the high school girls um, that my sister plays with. She was there. And uh, she had got a video of my parents just hugging each other after and they kissed after that. And I was like, oh, that was that was pretty nice to see. But um, after I was looking for my dad and then I finally found him, he was walking down this way and 
I yelled, he yelled, he loved me. I yelled, he loved me. I yelled, I loved him back. And yeah, it was, it was all love. It was a very nice moment. Jocelyn, when you think about just the importance of young girls and what they saw and what they've seen, but more importantly, girls in Hawaii that were there, I know you were one of them. When you look back and even think of yourself at 10 years old, nine years old, how do you feel about what you've done for that age group and empowering girls that look like you, that are from that area, knowing what they can accomplish? Yeah, it's, it was, it was a hard role to take on um, early on, just as far as like being a freshman and stuff, I didn't quite know how to handle myself in those sorts of ways, but I feel like now I'm old enough, I'm mature enough to um, take on that role and take it on um, graciously and passionately. Um, I always am thinking about Hawaii everywhere I play and um, no matter what level that I'm playing on, because like Ultimately, I want these girls to to want to go ahead and go farther than me. And whenever I'm done after this year, I want to put something out and I'm going to say, like, I know who's going to work hard and who's going to beat this record. You know what I mean? I want I want girls that look like me and stuff like that to dream that big. But I want other girls to be able to dream that big and work that hard as well. And I just want them to recognize the importance of hard work and dedication whenever it comes to something that you truly love so um yeah it's I I definitely am always thinking about them every time and it's funny now um a lot of the girls that were there were um like my old teammates nieces and all of that all my aunts nieces so it's like I know they're aunties and it's just cool seeing them um just do their thing but yeah it was that that was a pretty special moment for me just seeing everyone there and that's I I would have rather had it there anyway I'm happy we did it there just because I grew up playing on that field my house like if you stood on the pitcher's mound and you look towards like right center you could see like a bunch of bushes and stuff behind those bushes was my house that I grew up in so grew up in that town um my mom my dad proposed to my mom on the beach right across the street. We also spread my dad's, um, my, my grandpa's ashes there. So it's just full circle, man. So cool. Yeah. Holy cow. Well, Jocelyn, you've been an amazing example of humility and a championship mindset, but you know that we play a game of failure. And so coming up, you you talked already about that moment with your dad thinking, what am I doing? But how have you been able to battle through the pressure? What are some of the things that you've done to be able to keep yourself in the right mindset, knowing that it's hard to play this game? Yeah, um, definitely just trying to stick to what I do. And I have this set routine that I feel like helps me a lot as far as on like game day and stuff. But um, one thing that does help me a lot is I like to get away from softball as much as I can, just like a kind of a reset whatever but um I've been super into baking right now so I've been doing lots of baking and just trying to get my mind off of um me striking out or something (laughs) but um yeah just trying to do things that don't really involve softball and um one thing that coach and the girls kind of done a really good job of here and even it's hard for me still to um put out but like uh 
how all the girls are always like softball does not define me. This is not define who I am. And sometimes like me, I feel like, like I'm a softball junkie and I feel like, like softball is who I am. You know what I mean? But it's really not because I'm not defined by strikeouts. I'm not defined by home runs. People have known me by those, but like, I feel like I'm super deep down to earth person who just happens to hit some home runs. But um, yeah, I just like to do a lot of things kind of outside of softball just to keep me calm. Uh, Coach keeps me calm a lot. I talk a lot to her, Um, like to hang out with friends um, outside of this and just kind of do things that I like to do outside of this. But yeah, I feel like that's kind of what helps me a lot. Jossie, your entire homecoming made me emotional watching it on Instagram and Twitter, not just the home run, not just the games, but even the way you spoke to your community before. But there's one picture that stands out to me. It's about 10 feet before you hit home plate and you're pointing to somebody in the stands. I'm assuming it's your family. You posted it on Instagram and I've seen it about a hundred times. Do you remember what you were thinking in that moment and who were you pointing at? Um, I remember rounding the bases, um, just thinking like, I was pumped. I was pumped it happened. And then I got to sec like halfway between first and second. And I was pointing just to the crowd, like, this is for you guys. And then I came back around and I had finally spotted my dad out. And that was who I was pointing to. And he happened to be like right in front of my family and stuff. So just kind of pointing to them as well. But yeah. Yeah, definitely just pointing to them and the state of Hawaii just to be there to watch it happen. That's so cool. You're uh, giving me chills like all day here. <laughs> um, you know, there's not many people on this planet that have experienced what you've gone through and, but you have somebody, uh, Lauren Chamberlain that has, what kind of impact did she have on your journey and how did she help you? And what does it mean for the legacy of Oklahoma just to be such an incredible home run hitting team and how you contributed to that? Yeah. Um, mine and Lauren's relationship when we first met, um, I was kind of like a fangirl, quite honestly, but then um, got to get older and I got to hang out with her a lot more. I got to talk to her a lot more and we became really, really good friends and still really good friends, obviously. Um, but she's meant a lot to me during this just because it, it kind of takes some pressure off of me knowing that she's gone through it too. Um, and then when you finally hit it, it's like the whole world is finally off of your shoulders. But, um, as far as just keeping in the sooner sisterhood, like it, it makes my heart so happy that like, it's going to stay here and I feel like it'll be here for a while. Um, and it just goes to show how much the hitting coaches and JT and Trip have put into um, just the girls and the program and how much they want to see us succeed. So um, I think it just ultimate like Oklahoma softball, like we know how to hit, you know what I mean? Um, but other than that, uh, Lauren's been definitely a mainstay and she will continue to be a mainstay even after this. So um, definitely love our friendship and what we share. And I know, um, she was kind of blowing up during this too. So she was like, I kind of like all the attention, (laughs) but it was good. Um, yeah, that's my girl. 
Well, we know we know how well you can hit it, Josh. You, what's your go-to in a bake-off, though? You, you said you like to to do some baking to uh, you know, relax and I was mind. What when we come was, to town for Bedlam? Guys? Where were you guys? When we come to town for Bedlam, what what can we expect? All right. Well, Bedlam, my family will be here, so might be some good good food. But I've been making uh, cinnamon rolls, but I do it. Um, where I don't like make the dough because that just takes too long. But I like to take like a crescent roll or like the biscuits like in the can and you just put them all together. You roll it out like one big thing. Then you do the cinnamon filling on the inside, roll it up, cut it up. And you got cinnamon rolls that are buttery in like 20 minutes. I love it. Well, we always have a real competition to name our podcast episode. So I wanted to float this to you and get your approval. I think it should be a new home run record, Aloha, because that is actually your middle name, isn't it? Yeah. What does that mean? What does that word mean? Um, So my middle name is Aloha Pumehana, but Aloha just by itself is hello, goodbye, and I love you. And then Pumehana is um, the skies and the heavens, I'm pretty sure. But then when you put it together, it's warm-hearted love. I love it. Well, I think that you have shown some real warm-hearted love. You have hit your home runs into the skies, and you have been so wonderful. But I also loved what you said about being gracious and passionate. Um, Thank you for being a gracious and passionate superstar, and congratulations on all that you've accomplished. Thank you, Jossie. Thank you. You guys Thank let you. me know. Here. I'll cinnamon make some rolls. cinnamon rolls just for you guys. We're counting on that. I got you. Jocelyn Allo, everybody, the uh, the new NCAA home run queen for the still undefeated Oklahoma Sooners. We'll be seeing a lot more of them on national television in the second half of the season, including a big uh, big game coming up in a couple of weeks at Kentucky. And I'm sure the Sooners remember last year, the the first loss was on the road in the SEC. Of course, the Sooners will, in the very near future, be joining the Southeastern Conference. All kinds of good stuff to talk about. Best of luck to you and your teammates, Jocelyn. We appreciate it. Thank you. Jocelyn Allo, everybody. And as we mentioned previously, we will have the entire Bedlam series on the ESPN Network's Uh, The first game is a part of our new Thursday throwdown series, uh, which will also take us to uh, Florida state. And we open up in the, in the pack 12 with Arizona hosting Oregon on April 14th, all kinds of good stuff still to still to come with our Thursday throwdown. It's got some great stuff to come up uh, on the rest of the show as we celebrate women's history month. Of course, we're going to shag some stats as well. Beth Mowens, Kayla Bro, Jen Schroeder, Jenny Dalton-Hill, Jessica Mendoza, and Holly Rowe with you on the podcast. Um, if you're following along on your lineup card, you know that the SEC opened up last weekend. And uh, Kayla Bro, there were some upsets afoot, including quite the showing from LSU against Alabama. Yeah, I think that was something that not a lot of uh, people expected was that Alabama rolls into Baton Rouge and Montana gets kicked out of the game early against the Tigers. And I want to say, first and foremost, uh, Baton Rouge is a tough place to play. And Alabama's record in Baton Rouge now is 11 and 25. They have a tough time playing down in the bayou. And that's been consistent. So uh, credit to LSU for what they brought on day one. It was a doubleheader. 
really, really impressed. They were patient at the plate. They took their walks. They looked mature. They looked resilient. And then Georgia Clark with the big time home run in game two, you know, she gets the intentional walk in front of her to Taylor Pleasance. You could tell that kind of, you know, made her a little bit upset, fired her up a little bit. And then she comes up with the bases loaded and delivers against Lexi Kilfoyle to secure the series victory uh, against Alabama, against the number two team in the country. It was just an incredible weekend by LSU. And I also want to shout out Raylan Chafin, the freshman who got her first SEC start. She looked outstanding through a one hitter against the tide and she brought the energy from the first strike out of the game that she threw to Dallas goodnight for Alabama I mean she was fired up she was stomping her feet she was getting the crowd into it getting her teammates into it just one of those players that you really really want to play behind so uh, I was super impressed with LSU also credit to Bama because they did come back and Montana Fouts looked like herself in the game conclusion on Sunday but um, I don't know about you guys but when I watched that game and I saw LSU I kind of thought to myself, this is the LSU team that we should see every game. They're that talented and they're that good, but they don't bring that every single day, which I think uh, is a little bit frustrating. Yeah, I think you're going to see that with a lot of the upsets we've seen in the SEC is that inconsistency throughout the season. Something I loved about Georgia Clark, Clark, her quote after that big when um, was talking about the week, you always hear teams say they focus on themselves. They don't think about the opponent. She actually said We pictured Alabama all week long. We had posters, we had photos, we had quotes, we pictured fouts, we visualized, we put ourselves against the number two team in the country every single practice. They said it was the hardest practices they've had in years. And I absolutely love it because you always hear teams. I mean, Holly, you know, the quotes after games are, you know, we don't think about the opponent. We just think about ourselves. Let's be real. You know who you're playing. So you might as well let your players put themselves in that moment and allow them to visualize victory, victory, allow them to visualize the success you're going to have against one of the best pitchers. And you're right, that patience, it was a tight zone, but oh my goodness, did they be able to take those pitches to get into Fouts's head. But I do love to kind of wrap up the weekend. It shows the veteranness. And honestly, I think for every young girl watching, go watch Montana Fouts game one versus game three and see how she was mentally able to come back and then get, get that when I absolutely love what she was able to do. Well, and Montana Fouts is one of my favorite people across the board. She reminds me so much of Jenny Finch, just the way she carries herself, the way that she is able to put so many things out with NIL. I mean, and the way that she pitches very similar to Jenny, but to your point, Jess, I think the key for LSU is, are they going to be able to have that kind of intensity moving forward? We've seen some uncharacteristic losses for LSU, and I think it's because they look past an opponent. They're very talented. They're very good at the plate. But you have to have that kind of mindset, not just when you play the number one or the number two team in the nation, but you have to have that mindset going in into your midweeks because you cannot lose midweeks and keep that ranking week to week. And so, yes, LSU showed that they are a team to be reckoned with, but they have to bring that kind of intensity against every opponent all season long. And when you look at it, nine home runs hit in that series against some of the best pitchers in the SEC. So they're very hittable and they, you have to take advantage of the scouting reports that are before you. So you can attack the pitchers and their weaknesses that they're bringing into each series. Tennessee also looked good. They took a couple from Missouri, Georgia, two of three from South Carolina, and the Auburn Tigers may be the surprise team 
in the country so far this year. They get the sweep of Texas A&M, still looking very strong with an undefeated Matty Penta. Uh, the aforementioned Montana Fouts, by the way, did get roughed up in that first game, but did not take the loss. Came back, got another win in game three. So, Jen Schroeder, that means we could still potentially see Florida State, Alabama, an undefeated Fouts and an undefeated Cat Sandercock this week. I am so excited for this game in Tuscaloosa. I think that there's some added interest because it's tough not to look at polls, even though as a player, they don't really matter. Florida State and Alabama are consistently swapping in the polls. Who's number two? Who's number three? So it just kind of creates this added story. One thing that I'm questioning about Alabama's offense is how they perform against ranked teams. So just a little stat for you guys, Dallas Goodnight, who's been incredible. She's two for 21 against ranked opponents and 24 for 42 against unranked opponents. I also want to mention LSU did that against Alabama without Shelby Sinceri. She fouled the ball off of her face in inning one. So LSU did that without one of their stars. Uh, I want to give a little love to Tennessee because I was hot on Missouri this year. I thought, you know, Missouri beat Washington 10 to zero. They dominated Gabby Plain in Palm Springs. Tennessee came out and whomped them 14 to three after sitting out because of snow. I don't know if you guys saw those images on social media about the snow in Missouri, but shout out to that grounds crew because it was incredible. Uh, but just to wrap it, just to wrap it up, Tennessee did that without Ashley Rogers. So the impact of transfers like Aaron Edmondson, just crucial to the Tennessee defense. But I am pumped pumped for Wednesday's game and cannot wait to see. I wish that was a three-game series. I I wish it wasn't just one game. I wish it was a three-game series that we could see Florida State versus Alabama. Kayla? Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to add really quick. I loved the Tennessee-Missouri conversation because Chris Malvo, who was the former hitting coach at Missouri, is now at Tennessee, and Tennessee is now out hitting Missouri. They've got more home runs on the year, and comparatively, last season, uh, Mizzou had 30 more home runs than Tennessee did. So a little bit of a switch there on on that series. And to your point, I'm a homer for the home run. And maybe that's where we go with the podcast. But honestly, in those SEC matchups, there were 40 home runs hit between those five in those five SEC matchups. But there was one game one without a home run being hit. And it was that game against Florida, Mississippi State. Mississippi State able to win against Florida. No home runs. That's the only game within SEC play that did not have a home run this past weekend. And don't forget that Florida Alabama, Florida State-Alabama game, 7 Eastern on Wednesday night on the SEC Network coming your way from T-Town Never Down. Let's move on down the lineup card. Uh, We're celebrating Women's History Month, of course. Marissa Young, who played for Coach Hutch at Michigan, now the head coach at Duke, uh, had a a good sit down with Jen Schroeder. We're going to hear from Schro and uh, talk a little bit about Marissa and the big Duke-Clemson series coming up this weekend. But first, some thoughts from Marissa on a whole bunch of things, including the importance of role models. You know, I'm super thankful that Kevin White, um, you know, was passionate about women coaching women and providing minority opportunities. And that's why I'm here. And so I wanted to use my platform to continue to open doors for others. Um, I feel like what I've done here at Duke shouldn't be the minority. It should be 
common. You know, I've thanked my team numerous times that they've allowed me to do what I do. You know, I think five, ten years ago, having these conversations, trying to incorporate these things into your program would have been taboo. And as a leader, you can't lead unless people are willing to follow. And I've been able to do this here because our players are passionate and open to, you know, wanting to grow diversity, wanting to grow relationships and understanding how they can positively impact their community. Um, so really, the, you know, the credits to them and I'm just thankful that we've been able to do it and have the success that we have at this level. Who were the role models that you looked up to as you were coming up playing and then also your younger coaching days? Uh, my mom's been obviously a huge instrument in my success. She's been someone that would do whatever it takes for her family to um, reach their goals. And as much as I want to aspire as a softball coach, as a mom, you know, I carry that with me. I want to be um, great at what I do at home and, and help my kids grow up to be the best version of themselves. Obviously, Hutch has been a huge inspiration to me in teaching me what, it's, what it means to work hard and um, to be a Michigan woman and put the program first, and I've been able to do that here within my own program. Um, and then Patty Gasso has been um, professionally an inspiration to me, seeing how she's been able to raise her family and still be so successful at the collegiate level. What have been some of the biggest challenges for you, being both a mother and a career woman, but how has that made you a better coach? I think we're driven and we're, we're super perfectionist and, and hard on ourselves and so the toughest part for me personally has been figuring out how to manage not being perfect at all of those things and someone once told me you have to learn to juggle the plates and get used to some of them crashing and you know there are times in the season where uh, my family kind of gets the short end of the stick because I'm pouring it into the team and then there's other parts of the, of the year where I'm able to step back from work and pour into the family. Um, and it's definitely a, a balancing act of trying to figure out, you know, how to be where your feet are and give everybody the best version of yourself when you can. I had kids before I started coaching and trying to juggle um, toddlers at home and being on the road and being gone, it was, it was pretty difficult. And, you know, starting a program here at Duke is very much a startup business and, and trying to pour everything into that and surrounding myself with great people. Um, you know, there's not enough time in the day, to be honest. Um, and, you know, my, my personal life and your things that you want to do off the field have definitely had to take a back seat. But um, days like this, when you walk out into the field and just love what you do every day, it's all worth it. I love sitting down with Marissa. Anytime that I get to talk to her, I feel like I learn more and I'm more inspired. There were a few things that stuck out to me. The fact that she's making diversity an important factor on her team, and that didn't just come from her. When I sat down with the other players, they want to be role models for the girls that come after them. The second thing was that she wanted to represent and be a Michigan woman. And that is such a powerful statement. I feel like it could be filled in with whatever you're individually passionate about to be for me, a UCLA woman, or just to be good representation. I think that's something that Marissa does so well and so effortlessly. And then three, who she is as a mother, you know, it cannot be easy for her. Her girls are in middle school, in high school. The day of that interview was actually her daughter's very first high school game. So she met with me, interviewed in the morning, went to practice, and then immediately left to go watch her daughter's very first high school game. And I know, Jess, you as a mother, you just coached your son's baseball team last night. You're now their coach. I know it just cannot be easy. It pulls on your heartstrings as a mom. 
Yeah, but what I, I love about that is that Marissa puts it out there. She talks about the hard things. There is a great article. Rihanna Pocky wrote it for D1 Softball. Go check it out about the intentionalness at Duke for being able to find more minorities that have talent to make them bring them out of the woodwork. And I give her so much credit. Of course, it goes back to her father. I mean, I just growing up around the youngs. I mean, this has been going on for generations in Southern California of being able to, to not only be a minority, but find the talent, find the minorities, be able to bring light to that. And then talk about being a mom and put it out there. There are more softball moms than we've ever seen, but a lot of times it gets put, you know, you don't want to pretend like it's not there, that this isn't a distraction. This isn't real. And Marissa puts it out there and talks about it. I appreciate it so much because it's something that she has brought to the table, not only the player she's bringing in, but also putting her own personal life out there so we can all relate. Well, just to your point, she is a mom. She has a lot on her plate. But the one quote that stood out to me in that in that sound was that she says leaders can only lead if there's people that are willing to follow. And I think that's what she's been able to do. She's been able to not just set an example about how to do it right, but she's shown how to do it right. She is leading by example and showing how to do it. I coached high school ball when my daughter was playing high school. I coached her travel ball teams. I was trying to announce with ESPN at the same time. And I know how hard it is to balance all of those things, but you only get one shot at being a mom. You only get one chance to make those memories. You only get one opportunity to be able to make the kind of impact in your child's life. And if you're not completely present in everything that they do, they just don't buy in. Mm -hmm. And Marissa Young does a really good job of allowing herself to be where her feet are and make sure that she's present in all of those big moments. We're going to hear from another mom in just a minute as we continue to celebrate Women's History Month. But we've got to dive in a little bit with this big Duke hosting Clemson series coming up. The uh, tournament champs last year in the ACC hosting the regular season champs in the ACC. Of course, Marissa, a big reason why the ACC has tremendous depth. We're going to dive into this as well in our mailbag. But Duke has now won 21 in a row in conference play after they swept NC State this weekend. What do we think, gang, about Duke and Clemson? And all of a sudden, this is one of the biggest matchups of the entire season in college softball underperforming to our expectations of who we thought they were. Duke is incredibly impressive. Peyton St. George, I cannot say enough good things about her. Obviously, she's getting it done. But I want to point out her competitiveness because she just refuses to lose right now. And when I was down there at Duke and they were recounting winning the tournament and her and Shelby Walters, Shelby Walters started that game. Peyton came in and them winning on that field and beating Clemson. It meant more than just the ACC championship. It meant that all that hard work, that them committing to Duke, thinking they would never be that good, thinking that they talked about laying the roots of a tree that would blossom when they weren't there. And then them actually being there to see the fruits of their labor was just incredibly inspiring. I'm getting goosebumps even just recounting it. Uh, So just knowing, Beth, you're right, that this is one of the biggest matchups in college softball. And if you would have said that five years ago, we would have probably all laughed at you, right? We would have probably not believed that we would be here. Yeah, because Clemson didn't have a program five years ago. I think that's (laughs) what people are forgetting is this is a brand new program. I mean, this is year three. This is unprecedented what we're seeing from Coach Rittman. And Jess, I know that you are very close with him 
that they have, they've built there. I, I can't believe that they could start. And he was on staff. He had his staff there for a year leading up to getting their team and getting their team fielded there. Um, it, it's unprecedented what we're seeing from Clemson softball and how they have started that program. And I do think it's flipped for them because last year they were that sneaky team. I mean, no one was giving them any credit. This is a brand new team. Wait, Clemson has a softball team. We think about it coming off of COVID. I mean, no one even knew Clemson existed and they come and shock everyone, which is so much fun to do. Now this year is the test. They've got a target on their back. John Rittman, you're right, Holly. He knows how to handle that. He did it at Stanford. He came in, started basically a program that no one knew about. Then there was a target in the Pac-12, in a conference, and being able to do it. He's doing it again there, so I would never count him out. But I do have to say that this Clemson team looks a lot more shaky now because it's different when you put on the big girl pants and now everyone's coming after you because they know who you are. Always love a good big girl pants reference. That is awesome. And, and hopefully we're going to get some big girl pants head to head with Peyton St. George and Valerie Cagle. Um, I know Holly has spent some time over the years in Shashevskyville. Can we get a Youngstown going outside of the Duke softball stadium for the weekend series with Clemson? Let's start pitching those tents there. Uh, you Dukies and uh, show some big support Their for that program. Gorgeous Beth. I was just there for uh, Mike Krzyzewski's last game at Cameron and I went over to softball that unfortunately they were on the road at Georgia tech Um, But they've got nice facilities. It's a really great setup, and it's going to be packed this weekend. Yeah, we've heard about the significance uh, on the program today about softball moms, about role models. um, And, of course, Lisa Fernandez is both as we continue our celebration of uh, Women's History Month. And I know, Shro, as we listen to Lisa, uh, she also talks about the significance of parental support that she's had in her life that we all need as softball players and fans. Lisa Fernandez mentality, I, I mean, obviously, my dad played a big part. My mom played a big part. My, my dad's Cuban. My mom's Puerto Rican. And them being almost feminist in terms of support of, of women and being successful, um, if it wasn't for them and their you know, continued encouragement that allowed me to pursue this passion that I had. When I was younger, you know, maybe girls weren't allowed, you know, to be as strong and as, le- as uh, built, let's say, as I am. And... You know, we would mess around and wrestle a little bit, and he would always hit my legs and be like, yeah, you're strong, and, you know, would just always encourage me just to, to really be aggressive, and he would always talk about, you know, guts and the fire in your belly, and, um, you know, I watched them play, my mom and my dad, and how competitive they were, and, and really, I owe it, you know, believe it or not, to the, you know, the slow-pitch women that I watched play in my mom's slow-pitch softball league, and I'd go to the field when I was you know, two through eight and, and watch these women play on Mondays and Wednesdays in a slow pitch softball game and to see them lay it out. And I was like, damn, look at them getting after it. Like, it's okay to be me. My dad is definitely more of the aggressor and the yeller and, you know, power and, you know, get after it and work hard. And here's another story, you know, like, Lisa, back up home plate. You know, I'm like 10 years old. You got to back up home plate when you're pitching, you know, get behind the, get behind the plate. And I'm like, mom, he's yelling at me. And you know, my mom was definitely more calmer and, and more logical and non-emotional and, you know, the X's and O's, like, okay, Tony, settle down. And But my dad was always a part, you know. He'd, you know, give me signals from the stands and, and stuff growing up. Um, but I couldn't have done it without them, you know, to have the passion of my dad, but to have the logical sense of my mom and, and the realizations of my mom of, 
you know, really how to work for things, how to research, how to be able to figure out and, and multitask and, you know, be able to learn. One time a coach told me I ran like a turkey and I wasn't fast enough. And, you know, the first thing my mom said, well, get faster. I was like, mm, thanks, mom. Like, aren't you going to go talk to the coach? Like, but no, 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 I got it. I guess I'm going to get faster. And so that's what I grew up was realizing that I had control. Ultimately, it was it was me. I was fortunate to be able to represent uh, my country, and I think that was something that my dad was very proud of. Oh, here we go. Um, you know, being Cuban, coming over, joining the military, very very patriotic, and I was able to do that for him. After I won my first Olympic medal in '96, and he asked me, "Hey, Lisa, can I, you know, take your medal? I, I want to show some friends." And I was like, "You want to show some friends my medal?" And he goes, yeah, he goes, I want them to know that this is why my daughter plays softball. You know, and I was 25 at the time, and that's, you know, typically when a lot of people would retire and, you know, move on to either having a family or, you know, getting married. And my parents were like, no, you know, continue to, you know, pursue your dreams. Um, and when it's time to take that step, you take that step. But until then, live your life. And I've always had their encouragement and support to do that. Just speaking from experience, uh, my parents, I'd love to give them a shout out. My dad was that perfect example of toughness. And then my mom was just the person who would say, oh, your hair looked good because she couldn't be tough because my dad was just giving it to me. And sitting and listening to Lisa talk about her parents had me emotional. Uh, her reflecting on watching her mom play slow pitch softball and learning how to be tough. Her talking about her dad hitting her legs and saying, yeah, you're strong and celebrating that physique, celebrating that toughness. That made sense of why Lisa is who she is. She is the most dominant player our sport has ever seen. She is a role model for hundreds of thousands of little girls. And her being able to reflect back and give the credit to her parents and be selfless in the celebration of what her parents did for her career and her life left me emotional. Yeah. And seeing her, you know, do that as a parent, I mean, all the things that Lisa Fernandez and, and we've talked about her so much on the podcast as an athlete, but seeing her as a mom, I mean, even being her teammate and seeing little Antonio when he was two, three years old and setting that tone. I mean, for me as a mother, I ended up being, I made the decision to continue to play and be a mom because I saw Lisa Fernandez and Leo Brian Amico, but the way Lisa did it, and I mean, shout out to Gina Flores, by the way, who if you know UCLA softball, you know, you know, TT Gina, who is like, you talk about support system, Cruz and Antonio. I mean, because of that support, it's so huge. But I love that Lisa honestly did it in time when no one was really doing it. Um, being a mom still playing and now being a mom and coaching. Wait, just one little addition. So TT Gina, Jess, you know, and anyone who knows UCLA softball knows her. Her mom was actually on Lisa's mom's slow pitch softball team. So I, I didn't know that at all, but I thought that was so cool. Like their relationship goes back to when they were three, four years old. Pretty cool. Yeah, just really incredible stories. And I mean, for me personally, um, my mom actually played division one softball. She played at Louisiana Monroe. And she went across the country from Oregon to Louisiana. She met my dad who played baseball there. So, you know, to see somebody like my mom uh, raise four kids, you know, follow her dreams, move across the country, take a chance to go try and play collegiately at a time where it really wasn't common to do that, uh, gave me a lot of inspiration to be able to do the same and move across the country and try something different. And, um, 
you know, go live out my dreams without any regret or without looking back and saying, oh, I could have stayed at home or I could have played it safe. And I, I love that. And I think that's what's really cool about the experiences of your parents and what they do is they may not know it, but everything that they say to you, everything that they do to you just matters and it sinks in and you hold on to it and it really shapes and defines who you are. And that's what's really cool about these mothers that are uh, coaching uh, like Lisa and just the players that have the relationships like we heard from Jocelyn Allo that she pointed to her dad in the stands. Like those are the moments that matter and that make softball better than just playing the game. Well, and to your point, Kayla, I know that it's one of those situations where our parents have all given us wings to fly. They've never once put cement blocks on our feet and told us to stay. They've asked us to push. They've asked us to really just reach outside of ourselves because you all, we all know growth only happens outside of your comfort zone. And so you have to push beyond what you know now to get better. And one of the things that I think we all have experienced is that car ride home after a bad game. Jocelyn Olo even remembered it being one of those low points in her career. But as we, as athletes become parents and now have to coach the next generation, we need to remember what those moments feel like so that we parent our kids perhaps a little bit different way. And so just a shout out to what we did in our family. The conversation was when we got in the car, would you like ice cream? It might've been 30 degrees outside, but the conversation still started with, do you want ice cream? And if my daughter said, yes, I want ice cream. It meant we're not talking about the game. We're going to get ice cream. If she said, no, I don't need ice cream. That opened the door to allow those conversations of why did you strike out three times? So just find ways to have conversations to keep your relationship while also coaching and giving them wings. Well said indeed. Well said indeed. Uh, and uh, I think all of us have stories. Mine was Lonergan Park where we played and then it was off to Big Dip for a soft vanilla. No sprinkles, no cup, no nothing, just soft vanilla. That was the way to go post game. Uh, we've learned so much already. We're going to get cinnamon rolls when we go to Oklahoma. Uh, we're homers for a home run. And bro's mom was a badass baller. I mean, this is good stuff on the program. And we're still not done. We got the mailbag coming up. We're going to shag some stats and uh, remind people that uh, we have a video review this year. But it's a Pac-12 party. And here on the podcast, we are well represented by Pac-12ers. And, oh, my goodness, look at all the West Coasters we got on the program today. Uh, Opening weekend, Oregon State at ASU, Washington at Cal, Oregon at Utah. Stanford has a couple of tough non-conference games uh, but all eyes will, uh, Jen Schroh, be on the UCLA Bruins and the Arizona Wildcats. For the first time, the rivalry does not include Mike Candrea, its new head coach and former cat Caitlin Lowe at the helm. It is crazy that for the first time, Mike Candrea will not be there. I'm excited for Caitlin's first go. Obviously, this is an epic rivalry. UCLA could not be playing any better heading into weekend one. They're on a 15-game win streak, including wins against Missouri, Tennessee. Uh, their middles, Savannah Pola, Bree Perez, their freshman of the week, player of the week. They're both hitting over 400 with 25-plus RBIs combined. Uh, Megan Faremo is on fire. Three perfect games. Mind you, some are combined. They're not seven innings. She struck out all 15 batters she faced in a run rule victory. And Holly Acevedo has 10 wins already this season, guys, which is a crazy statistic for her. But 
actually looking at the Utah Utes this weekend because I want to know, are they as good as their game against Oklahoma? Because that game that they competed against them was impressive, and they have a great test against Oregon this weekend. This weekend. So my eyes are on those two series. Okay, your eyes are somewhere other than Arizona-UCLA. I don't even know you anymore, Jen. Come on. That is a rivalry that stands the test of time. I'm going to love you regardless of who wins. But I think my nod does go to UCLA. That's hard to say. But when you look at the numbers, it just comes down to that pitching staff for UCLA. A 1.18 ERA, Paramo on fire. You already mentioned it, Acevedo with those 10 wins. I mean, the pitching circle for UCLA, very good right now. And the pitching circle for Arizona has had some hiccups. They're sitting with an ERA at 2.9. So they're giving up runs. And the run game with Caitlin Lowe at the helm, you would anticipate a ton of stolen bases, but actually UCLA is winning the stolen base game as well with 36 stolen bases on the year, Arizona only 14 on the year. So it comes down to the run game and the circle for me. Yes, there are four hitters on Arizona's lineup with a batting average over 400 and the big home run hitter Carly Stupin is actually hitting 500 right now. But UCLA has three hitters over 400 as well. This one's going to be a battle in at UCLA, but that's the one. I'm sorry. There's no other game that I'm going to be more focused on in the Pac-12 this week than that one. Um, I, I, I'm going to go with Jen here on this one, Jenny. I, I know you guys are like battling it out this week, but I'm going to have to go with Jen because I am watching that Utah game because I'm interested to see Oregon play who has been tearing it up in March so despite the fact that Brooke Giannis will no longer be on the roster for the remainder of the season out with an injury the offense has stepped it up they've hit 22 home runs in the month in the month of March they're doing an excellent job Allie Bunker Hannah Delgado lead the way with the on-base percentage and getting on base and then I got a shout out Ariel Carlson coming up with eight home runs on the year. She's their leader in the power numbers. She's a local kid. She's from Eugene. So it means something to her to put on that uniform. She's got one of the most beautiful swings I've ever seen. I've been following her since she was in eighth grade. Love Ariel. Love to see her having success and looking forward to seeing the Ducks against the Utes. Okay. I just got to give a shout out though. Oregon State, Arizona State. I'm excited about this because they're sneaky. I know we get so excited. ACC, SEC, Big Ten, there's home run records, but this is opening weekend for the Pac-12. We've been waiting for these matchups and Oregon State, by the way, sneaky. They had a 17 game winning streak. They just had their star pitcher, who, by the way, when you look at pitching stats and I'm bummed that we don't have our big pitchers on this podcast because my favorite stat is actually strikeout to walk ratio. I know I'm not trying to nerd out here but the Pac-12 has six of the top 10 strikeout to walk meaning they strike everyone out and they don't walk anyone those are awesome stats and two of those pitchers are from Oregon State now Maria Mazan she is or hopefully she had an injury this last weekend so I'm hoping we'll get to see her but this is a pitcher that beat Tennessee she has a huge bat that she brings. And then don't forget about Gabby Plain of the Oregon, of Oregon, Tarney Stepto, who is an amazing drop ball pitcher. I mean, Arizona State, you know the ball's going to fly there. That's just how it is. But those pitchers keep the ball down. And I just wanted to give that series some love as well. Jess, I thought we weren't talking about pitching because Amanda and Michelle are. I know. I know. I'm sorry. I just, I got really nerdy and I thought I wanted, basically I'm thinking this is a Pac-12. Like, okay, what, what is the Pac-12? What are they doing? They're doing a lot of things, but... I mean, you would think, I mean, honestly, Megan Faramo, I mean, the people that are in the top 10, like there's some pitching out West. So you be watching. (laughs) 
Real exciting stuff. I think all of us probably in agreement that it's UCLA's uh, conference to win or lose this year. Who else can challenge them? And quite frankly, I think uh, what's going to be real important as well for the Pac-12 is who else is going to be good enough at the end of the season to get not only a top 16 seed, but a top eight seed to try and host NCAA tournament action. It is a time now as we move down our uh, lineup card to our uh, mailbag. And uh, Scarborough's not here to handle the mail this week. She's getting ready with Michelle Smith and Mark Neely to call that big Florida State-Alabama game. So we're going to dive right in, and uh, we'll kind of rapid-fire these. Our first um, letter is from Amanda in College Station. Uh, Wants to know, how big a week is it for the Texas Longhorns? They've already got nine losses. They play ULL. And they play LSU this week. They go outside the conference. Is this make or break for the Longhorns to try and get their season back on track before they open up the Big 12? I say yes to that one. This is big week for them, Amanda, in College Station. Uh, they, they need to get some work done and figure some things out as they get set for league play coming up in the not-too-distant future. How about uh, greetings and salutations from Victor in Orlando, longtime follower, first-time mailbagger. Uh, For this season only, Jess, would you take the Big 12 or the ACC? Definitely ACC. I mean, I I think the Big 12 gets a ton of love because of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, but what we were just talking about with Texas, I mean, it drops off after that. And the ACC, I mean – Man, Scarborough predicted three teams will be in the World Series. I don't know if we go that far, but just to see Virginia Tech, we talked about Duke and Clemson, Florida State, and what they can bring. I mean, this is it's a no-brainer to me as much as the love is definitely going to be in Bedlam and those two teams in Oklahoma, but there's so much more depth in the ACC. Yeah, and I think it comes down to what are we what are we going with either of these four? Are we looking for the national champion? If we're looking for the national champion, I think you're looking at the Big 12. If you're looking for a conference, who's the more impactful conference? I think ACC. They're going to make a bigger splash. They're going to make a bigger wave through the postseason. But if you're looking for national champion, you got to go with Big 12 because they've got Oklahoma. RPI right now, ACC has four of the top 16. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, of course, repping the Big 12, both in the top five. I'd say to win it all, I think I'd still go Big 12 with Oklahoma. Most teams in the World Series, though, I think Scarborough may be onto something. I don't know if it's going to be three, but they may have uh, the, the advantage there over the Big 12. We'll see how hot Oklahoma State can get down the stretch. Of course, don't forget, we're going to have that entire Bedlam series in April on the ESPN networks. Uh, also in the mailbag, TJ from Cincinnati, who's a college softball newbie since March is International Women's Month. Uh, who would be on your Mount Rushmore of college softball players. There, there's a whole lot of different ways to go with this one. I mean, there could be an Olympic Mount Rushmore. There could be a college Mount Rushmore. Um, I, I'll give you my all-time World Series Mount Rushmore. And then um, Holly Rowe can jump in on this. All-time World Series. I'm going to go Leah O'Brien, Kira Garrell, Shay Knighton, and Lauren Hager based just on their World Series histories, just on their World Series stuff. Anybody else got a Mount Rushmore that they want to chime in with? It is UCLA-Arizona week. Well, and that 
one of the cool things that we saw in the pandemic. A lot of schools were putting up those Mount Rushmores of their own particular schools. And I thought that was really cool. But I don't think you can have a Mount Rushmore without Lisa Fernandez. I mean, yeah. she truly is the quintessential epitome of the two-way player, played third base, also pitched, and then was so hard to get out at the plate. So no matter whose Mount Rushmore you're putting it on, whether it's all time or not, it has to have Lisa Fernandez on it. I'll go Mount Rushmore, only pitchers, only UCLA, Arizona. I'll go Debbie Doom, Lisa Fernandez, Susie Para, Jenny Finch. Pitcher love, UCLA, Arizona, Mount Rushmore's. Love that one. That's a very good one. That's a very good one. How about an Olympic Rushmore of Dot, Lisa Bustos, and Michelle Smith and uh, Jessica Mendoza? That's a good I'd, one. I'd, add, I'd add a head. I'd add a head for that one. Yeah, just I can just sneak in. I'll, I'll come out the neck of yeah. like one I of the. I gotta add it. I gotta add Haley McClendon to that too because she was unbelievable this year. I mean, we gotta yeah. bring somebody new in. We gotta add, gotta <laughs> add some you know younger and newer players too. No, so, Mount add. Rushmore's old. Come on, it's all. That's old. true. You're right, Danny. Pac-12 right. opening week. We just gotta stick in the pack. Stay. We're not bringing in an Alabama player. No, I, I actually I love home run Mount Rushmore. And if you just go Jocelyn Allo, although she. She's not being built yet, but that's about to happen. Lauren Chamberlain, Stacey Newman, and let's bring in Leah Bratz and Laura Espinoza, Jenny yeah. Galton Hill's era of just home run power queens. I, I hope our, our friends at Oklahoma are uh, not only gathering funds for the new stadium, but for bronze statues outside the stadium. They may need several of those uh, based on having the top two home run hitters of all time. Hey, at Seven Innings Podcast, what are your favorite college softball player names? This is from On the Sidelines, who wants to chime in with one of their own. Dream Weaver, apparently, is a player at Southern Utah. All name team. Here's who I got on mine this year. Izzy Pacho is on my team. Uh, and so is Casey Goguts, USC Upstate. Casey Goguts, all name team. Anybody else? I love saying Dallas goodnight. Like you just can't say it without adding emphasis at the end. Like Dallas goodnight. I I love it. I like Zeta Pooney from Tennessee. I think that's a good one. It kind of rolls off the tongue. It's unique. I like that. I also like, uh, you know, somebody that's just putting it out there. Star Ferguson from A&M. Just star, right in your name. Just like Dallas goodnight, you know, stars goodnight. Well, and I'll take it back to Tennessee. I love Lair Boutte. I just think it has a good ring to it. I think it's cool. I mean, let's just say that's a cool name. <laughs> hey, thanks so much for sending us your thoughts. Uh, we're we're going to make mailbag, I think, a constant thing. If you've got some something on your mind or want to ask us, at Seven Innings Podcast is the way to go. BMO, Bro, Shro, JDH, Jess, and Holly. And it is time, folks. One of our favorite times of the entire week to shag some stats. This week on Shagging Stats. All right, since uh, since she's had stats swiped, I think, two or three weeks in a row, I feel like we have to let Kayla go first this week so nobody steals her. What you got, bro? Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, I'm going to go with... Uh, Hitters, so there are 11 hitters above 500 left now that we've got some quality at-bats and a large number of at-bats under their belts. Um, so 11 hitters above the 500 mark, and t- two of those players play for Arkansas. That's going to be Danielle Gibson and Hannah Gamble. Well, and I knew I, this week we would be 
um, without our pitchers. So I wanted to pull in some pitcher love because I know that that's how they like to roll. So when it comes to pitchers, <laughs> Jess, I love it. No, we don't want pitchers, but we have to have them so we can hit the long ball. So they, they dish up a mistake and we go, we go long with it. But back in 2019, I was able to call the regional at Oklahoma and there was a team there, UMBC, who had a young pitcher named Courtney Coppersmith. And she grabbed my attention right away. She's now sitting in her fourth year at UMBC and she leads the country with a 0.00 ERA, still perfect on the season, has not thrown as many innings as she has in years past, but that freshman season when she was playing Oklahoma in regionals, she had um, 321 strikeouts on the year. I mean, just a dynamic pitcher for UMBC and excited to see her in her fourth season. Kayla, you touched on this earlier with local talent, hometown, um, and it's not quite hometown, but I'm going, my number is actually 4,400, which is the population in Gretna, Nebraska. Now, Gretna, Nebraska is the home to Billy Andrews, who is the current home run leader in the country. She's hit 14 home runs in 22 games. And you're talking small town, local, being able to stay with her hometown team. And guys, how much the talent has spread. We saw it early on, like the last decade with the talent spreading at the colleges, but a lot of that talent was coming still from the same places. But now we're seeing those teams being able to recruit local, have those local local girls stay local, and now be huge stars. So kudos to Billy Andrews from Gretna, Nebraska. She's on a nice little hit streak. I think 18, 19, 19, 19 game hit streak. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go back to UMBC because Jenny, you, you said all these great things, but you forgot to mention that she threw a perfect game this week where she struck out 20 of 21 batters. Not only that, there is another freshman on their team named Kaya Matter. Combined, those two pitchers are averaging 14.7 strikeouts per seven innings. The record is currently, Monica Abbott has it from Tennessee, and I believe it's like 12.7. So they're averaging almost two more strikeouts per seven innings that she had. Pretty incredible. But I'm breaking the rules and I have two shagging stats because I want to put a player of the week nominee up right now in Hannah Gamble. Uh, Kayla, you mentioned her. She went six for six this weekend with three home runs. So half of her hits were home runs, a double, seven RBIs, eight runs scored, two walks, four hit by pitches. She was perfect on the weekend. So she's my nominee for player of the week. All right. I think that's pretty solid for player of the week right there this week on the seven innings podcast, Hannah Gamble, by the way, on Google maps, there is a Billy's Gretna cafe in Gretna, Nebraska. It's just outside of Omaha. Female uh, athletes are taking over the world. Billy Andrews. I don't know if it's her Gretna Cafe or not, but it's it's it got be. her name on it. Billy. It will be. Yes. Yeah. We just made it so. Um, Holly Rowe, uh, her shag and snap, by the way, was Peyton St. George, a new Duke single game record, 15 strikeouts. My shag and stat this week is 65 and three. 65 and three. That is the combined record of Kentucky's next seven games against Alabama, Oklahoma, and Auburn. Not only make or break time for Texas, but also make or break time for Kentucky. We're going to see a lot about what they're made of in uh, the next uh, couple of weeks. They could see 
three unbeaten pitchers in Fouts, Penta, and uh, Jordy Ball. So, cats are going to have to get something cooking. That is our shagging stats. Uh, always a good time. That was shagging stats. Uh, finally, uh, I think we're going to give Hannah Gamble our player of the week. Is that right? A show of hands. Looks like everybody's good with that. And um, I know, um, Jenny, we wanted to revisit review since we are now uh, into uh, the uh, heart of the regular season and we're starting to pick up conference play. And this will be something that we'll see uh, at the Women's College World Series where coaches now will have a couple of challenges to go to review close plays. We've already seen it. Yeah, when it comes to that replay review, we need to remember that not every play is something that you can go to review on. We actually saw it in that Florida-Mississippi State game where if a if a catch is called or if it's ruled a catch on the field, they can't go back and change that. So if a rule, if it's ruled a catch on the field, not a reviewable play. Also out of the box, not a reviewable play. So those of you at home, do not tweet at us to let to be mad. Why are the coaches not reviewing? Because there's a lot of things that are not able to be reviewed under the rules. And sometimes the cameras just don't get the looks. And so it all it has to be completely um just def- definitive that it is one way or the other if it is one of those situations where you just can't tell it's going to stay with the c- ruling on the field but beth what are some of the things that you want to make sure that the viewers at home are ready for so it, it just like in basketball it has to be indisputable video evidence and there are two choices you'll hear us use either the words upheld or overturned and you need 100% certainly a certainty to overturn anything less than that, then the call on the field would be upheld. And they like to remind us that replay is a tool and not a crutch. So you don't want to be too heavily reliant on the replay. That's why the coaches will get two challenges, regardless if they win the challenge, that's all they get two challenges and the official or the uh, umpires do take over at their own discretion for the last two innings of the game, the uh, sixth and seventh innings and beyond. So uh, they, they will verbalize that or, or visual. You will see it visually from the umpires when a, a coach has uh, decided to challenge on that. And that's our review review. And that's our podcast for this week at seven innings. Follow along on social media. We hope you have enjoyed this episode affectionately known as Aloha as Jocelyn Alo becomes the all-time home run queen. BMO, bro, Shro, JDH, Jess, Holly, thanks so much for joining us. We will see you out there on the road to the Women's College World Series.